In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a delight to be with you, and a delight to be with you all for this Sunday when we're going to be talking about trusting in God. And I did have at the start of this the idea that maybe this sermon ends with me falling back into Charlie's arms to show you what trust is like. We'll see how that goes. But I want to know if any of you can complete this hymn lyric or this hymn chorus. Um, We'll just see where we go. So I'm going to read out a verse of a hymn and see if you can join me for the chorus. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Do you know where that goes? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus, to trust and obey. Oh, well. Um, ha-ha. I've written down here. Can you remember singing that? Clearly you can. And I think I've just finished my sermon. Aren't you relieved? That's it. Um, look, the sermon's not over. Because even as I was writing these words down, I was actually thinking to myself, and I'll be absolutely honest, is it as easy as that to be happy in Jesus? Is it only that we've just got to trust and obey? And if it was that easy, why, aren't, why isn't the car park full of people wanting to be happy in Jesus? If it was just as mechanical as that, that was, that's where my thought was going. So I'm afraid you've now got a sermon. And I thought what I'll do is look at the two amazing readings that we had today to see what they tell us about trust and about obedience. Are you you with me still? Good. The other reason, and this is really for the kids, the other reason about trust and obedience I thought I've got difficulty with, and this is a confession, is I think it's easier to trust and obey when you're a child than it is when you're a a grown adult. And the older I've got, the harder it has actually become. So I need to examine a bit more why, what's really going on. So I am going to now talk to you about those two readings, and I'm going to step away from here, so I'm hoping you can still hear me. And for all those who are looking at this online, I'm sorry. I'm giving priority just for a moment for the kids out here. We had two stories, both about widows. Yep. You with me so far? Books of the Bible. There's a book of the Bible that's named after a widow. What's the book of the Bible? And by the way, the rest of the sermon is like this. (laughs) And here's a little trick. If you answer a question, I'm not going to ask you again. So as soon as you do know an answer... Just get it out of the way, because they get harder. Um, Books of the Bible. There's a book of the Bible named after a widow. Well done. Well done. You had another choice. You had another choice for a female-named book of the Bible. Esther. And by the way, Esther's an orphan. And I just want to say to you, orphans... And widows have a special place in God's heart. You actually hear that 
in the book of James, care for the orphan and the widow. And it's really significant that we have these stories today. Why do you think, just out of interest, why were orphans and widows of such an interest to the writers of the Bible? What was it about their lives? Yeah. Generally, they'd be more humble because they weren't used to getting a lot of stuff and they would, like, if they even did get lots of money, they would just not really need to use it because they're used to having it. And so they gave it away. Wow. That is an amazing... Your answer was to kind of be very humble because they maybe didn't have any money and if they did have money, they might give it away. They wouldn't normally have money. They wouldn't normally have money. And they'll be absolutely at the borderline of, of living. And you hear about that in one of the readings we had this morning. But I just want to ask you if you can picture in your mind, and I appreciate this is, this is a bit difficult, a widow. I'm trying to think of someone I know who's a widow. And I can actually think of, for example, my own mother. She's actually 89 and she's a widow. But in the Bible, they're not always that old. And that's significant too. Um, the widow in the first story we had today is clearly very young. How do we know she's very young? How do we know the, sto- the woman in the story, the first story we had today, was young? Sorry? Yes, because she's got a young son. She's got a young son. It's as easy as that. The other day, and this is, I want to say, we don't often see young widows, but there are places we do. The other day, I was absolutely privileged enough to go into the opening of the Afghan War Memorial, which is down by the Suncorp Stadium by the Milton Church. I don't know if you've known about that. It's a, a garden for, built by the guys who are called 42 for 42, who are remembering the Afghan war dead. And they've built this incredible mural, which is about as long as this wall here, which is on the side of the Suncorp Stadium. It's well worth going to. And I was lucky enough to be invited there for the opening. And I'm there with the politicians, of course. There are politicians there. There are the generals there. There are some of the Afghan war wounded there. But there were also some young women there who were widows. They are the widows of the young war dead. And it makes you realize just what their lives are like. But thank God, here in Australia, they do get pensions. In the Bible, they didn't. And that is the start, really, of the first story we had today about the widow who doesn't even have a name. She's known as the... Yeah, is that staggering? We don't know a name. The widow of Zarephath. Is it possible to get that reading back up on the screen? The reading we had for the first reading from Two Kings, I think it was. I'm going to ask you some questions. <laughs> and I actually thought it's going to be really hard if I ask these questions. And it's just the story in your head. But I'm just going to ask you, what was the widow doing when, she come, when Elijah comes across her? What was she doing? She's gathering sticks. Well done. Why is she gathering sticks? Let's see how fast we can go. You've answered a question, so you go. Why is she gathering sticks? Sorry? To cook some food. Yes. 
She's gathering sticks to cook some food. What's special about the meal she's about to cook? What's special about the meal she's about to cook? It's her last meal. She actually says, this is the meal I'm going to cook for me and my son before we go off and die. Can I say, the Bible contains things of unbelievable tragedy. And what does Elijah then ask her to do? What does he ask her to do? You've done my question. Someone on this side. What does he ask her to do? Yeah, to make it. Do you think that's fair? <laughs> Out of interest, do you think that's fair? He says, come and make me some food. But there is a promise in it. There's a promise. That if she does all this, she isn't going to go hungry. But he says something else that is easy to miss over. He gives her an instruction. What's the instruction? It's actually there on the screen. Don't be afraid. Thank you. That's what this sermon's about. That, those, yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> I'm all for you reading the Bible. Don't be afraid. He tells her, before we get all this trust stuff, to not be afraid. How common do you think that phrase is in the Bible? Do not be afraid. Sorry? How common is it? It is very common. That's a good answer. <laughs> and you now don't have to answer any other question. There is a story that you can get 364 versions of do not be afraid in the Bible. That's not actually true, but it appears in amazingly important stories. And for all the grown-ups here, that's what I'm about to ask you. I want you to dig your memories and tell me where you've heard in the Bible, do not be afraid, other than in this story. Yes. Yeah. Do not be afraid. Thank you. Do not be afraid. Well done. Any others? Some of these I might not know, by the way. <laughs> I'm trusting you on that one. You've already answered the question. Any others? Do not be afraid. Really try and mine your mind. You know these Bible stories. Where have you heard, do not be afraid? You've already, you've already answered one. <laughs> I'm going to stick by my rule. And you've answered one. Oh, you're great down here. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, he does. He says quite a few times, do not be afraid. Think of an angel telling someone, do not be afraid. And if I give you a clue... Oh, yes. Mary. Yes, we've, that's true. Elizabeth. Yes, do not be afraid. I'm thinking of actually a Sunday morning. The resurrection is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's an incredible theme that runs through the biblical text. Do not be afraid. Jesus walks on water. Don't be afraid. The transfiguration of Jesus. I'm cheating here because I'm looking at my own notes. Don't be afraid. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. 
You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why do you think do not be afraid is so important? Can I say you've got awesome kids in this church? Why do you think do not be afraid is so important? Yeah, yeah. Or stops humanity being really human, isn't it? If I'm going to ask you about trust, and we are about trusting here, what prevents us from really trusting in God? If you dig down, it is probably fear. So one of the deeper questions I want to ask you all this morning, and this is one to keep to yourself, what is it? you really, really fear? What is it you really fear? Because that fear is going to probably prevent you trusting. Let me see if I can go to the other story. Because the other story is a story, you might say, a little bit of obedience. Can we get that up on screen? Did we get that on screen as well? Oh, yeah. We have another widow. The Bible has a heart for widows. What does she do? This is easy. What does she do that Jesus remarks on? I think you've answered two or three already. Someone else down at the front. What does she do? Okay, I'm going to step over you guys because you are all too good. I'm going to go to this this group of people here who've been ever so quiet. What does she do that he remarks on? Yet, how many pennies does she put in? Yeah, she puts in two. It says two on there. It's amazing, isn't it? She puts in two. And I have to tell you, I love this story in the Bible because it is two. Because two introduces a choice. If she only had one coin, she's still got a choice. You either keep it or give it. But if you've got two coins, you either can keep them or you could give one and still keep one. But she doesn't keep one back. She gives both coins. And that's what's, in a sense, commendable about her behavior. I'm going to read you something now by C.S. Lewis. And he's talking about how we can start to behave a bit more like this. Because it's going to, I'm going to read it. I'm going to go back to the lectern if I can. It's easier to read from there. But he was talking about how do we start to be like this? How do we do this? Maybe we get the fear out of the way. Deal with your fears. But how do you really start trusting and obeying and being generous? And of all things, he talks about pretending. C.S. Lewis wrote it in a book called Mere Christianity, Pretend to be Christian. And that's going to, I hope that's got you interested now. But this is what he says about pretending. What is the good of pretending to be what you're not? Well, even on the human level, you know there are two kinds of pretending. 
There's the bad kind where the pretense is there instead of the real thing. As when a man, remember this was written 60 years ago, pretends he's going to help you instead of really helping you. But there's also a good kind where the pretense leads up to the real thing. When you're not particularly feeling friendly, but you know you ought to be, the best thing you can do very often is to put on a friendly manner and behave as if you're a nicer person than you actually are. I lost my sermon there. And in a few minutes, as we'll have all noticed, you really will be feeling friendlier than you were. Very often, the only way to get to equality in reality is to start behaving as if you have it already. That is why children's games are so important. Children's games are always pretending to be, in a sense, to be grown-ups, playing soldiers or playing shop. But all the time, they are hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the pretense of being grown-up helps them to grow up in earnest. So his answer, in a way, was to say, even on times, we might need to practice in trust in order to really trust. If that makes sense. So I'm going to leave you with two ideas, if I can. One is, the thing that inhibits us trusting is fear. Truly examine your fears. The other thing that stops us trusting and obeying is simply lack of practice. To start practicing, start pretending. And the last idea is this. And this is why I would say, personally, I have just a couple of issues with that trust and obey him. I don't think it ends there. I don't think God wants us to trust and obey because he wants us trusting and obeying. He knows they're, they're tools. They're tools for something else. And what they get us to, and you know this, if we practice and live out these things, we get beyond them. And the word we use for the thing that's beyond them is simply love. We get to love the Lord, and the Lord gets to love us. Examine your fears, guys. I'm sure you know what you're fearful of. Practice your trust and obedience and grow on to love. Amen.